This is a Giving Thought podcast from the Charities Aid Foundation's think tank, Giving Thought. Hello, you're listening to the Giving Thought podcast. This is the podcast from CAF's think tank, Giving Thought, in which we look at big issues and themes relating to philanthropy and the work of civil society. I'm your host, as ever, Rod Davis, um, and this is part two of episode 40. So those of you who already listened to part one will know that uh, in that we took a look back over 2018, a bit of a review of the year, and had a look at the predictions we made at this point last year about what the year might bring and how we got on with them. And then in this second half, we're going to do the same thing, but for 2019. So in a second, I'll go on and outline some of the predictions I have for what 2019 might have in store for philanthropy and civil society uh, and a few sort of specific tech ones. So without further ado, let's get on with that. Okay, so we're back for this last section, and I'll try not to test your patience uh, too much at the start of the new year and and keep it as brief as I can. So let's do a few predictions. Um, And again, I'll keep these pretty top level and pretty vague. And then that way, when I come back at the start of next year to test myself, I can again claim that I've done quite well. So just taking kind of broader politics and and economics first. um, I mean, my first prediction is that there will be Brexit in the UK, or there won't, or or something will happen. Um, it's an impossible one to call. I mean, I think the likelihood is that, you know, we will be exiting the EU, although I think still the shape of what that looks like and what involvement the public or parliament has in the decision is, you know, no one can call that, so I'm not going to be able to call it on this podcast, but it is going to have a pretty determinate effect on um you know just society as a whole and the political landscape here in the uk certainly uh, and it's going to continue to sort of dominate political and policy attention um and it's going to be, will continue to be quite difficult i think to cut through with with anything else linked to that i mean we have to be aware there's the possibility of a general election um again i'm not going to you know prognosticate about whether or not that's likely but it's certainly not beyond the realms of possibility um, so that's something we all need to be very aware of. Um, I think more broadly beyond that, the, the ongoing kind of background of austerity, um, I think a lot of people were very sceptical during the budget this year when uh, the Chancellor Philip Hammond claimed that we were seeing the beginning of the end of austerity, um, which I think a lot of people felt didn't really reflect what they were seeing uh, in local areas and, and communities around the country of the sort of huge growth in in food banks and and homelessness and rough sleeping um, and the ongoing challenges of local authority funding and I think that is something we will see uh, unfortunately a lot more of over the coming year is stories like the one about Northamptonshire County Council here in the UK which um, uh, essentially I don't think I don't know whether they declared themselves bankrupt but they had to slash their services back to uh, statutory level in all areas because they essentially run out of money and I think we will see uh, other councils doing similar things and obviously that has 
you know, quite a, a big effect on the what is expected of local charities and civil society in terms of acting as a, an additional safety net or stepping in to, to cover gaps in that funding. And that raises some very particular uh, challenges around uh, questions of responsibility and accountability and what the role of philanthropy is uh, compared to the state, which, you know, so I think those debates will continue over the next year. Um, another thing I think we'll see is, uh, again, picking up my uh, prediction from last year about the SDGs, I think we will see more focus on that this year because the UK is doing its uh, voluntary reporting on progress against the SDGs. So there will be a sort of hook on which to, to place that. So I think some more mainstream attention will come onto that issue. Um, I think another thing that will continue is sort of more focus on populism and kind of ongoing challenges for democracy. Um, you know, it's still going on in, in the US, but in other countries around Europe uh, and beyond, we're generally seeing the sort of rise of, you know, autocrats and strongmen politics and, and populism. Um, and again, this is sort of the continuing impact this is having on trust in institutions and the sort of general mood people have towards um uh, kind of you know institutions uh, and the role of government and uh their their kind of desire to engage with with uh traditional institutions and organizations uh you know it'll be interesting to see how that plays out uh, and then just to throw in um, another thing we need to be braced for, I think, is another financial crash. Um, I don't know if that's likely to come this year. We might be talking about a slightly longer term timescale, but a lot of people and experts um, seem to feel that a crash at some point is inevitable. Where it will come from and what the root cause will be is is less certain, but uh, the overall uh, impact could be um, really quite severe because most countries uh, countries and governments and institutions around the world um it is felt i think are haven't made the necessary preparations in the wake of the last financial crash um so that's some cheery news for you um moving on to uh, more specific predictions around sort of philanthropy and civil society so we've already noted that this has been a year has seen some sort of quite uh, major and, and quite sort of pointed criticisms and critiques of philanthropy and particularly kind of big money and elite philanthropy. Um, and I think that's definitely something that we'll see more of in the coming year. I think this is sort of tapped into, um, you know, a general mood in which, as I say, people are kind of questioning uh, the role of established elites um, and the the way in which democracy functions and issues around inequality and and these sorts of things and the role of, of wealth um, so I think you know the general default uh, view of philanthropy certainly in the US seems to have shifted to one that is more critical um, and you know I suspect that will have a knock-on effect in in the UK despite the fact that there are probably quite a few areas in which the the comparisons between the UK and the US uh, sort of fall down and some of the criticisms, the specific criticisms, don't quite work. Some of those underlying issues around inequality and democracy and all these sorts of things, I think, will filter into the debate in the UK and I think there will be more of this sort of um, critique of, of philanthropy and, and the role of, of philanthropy here in the UK over the coming year. One way in which I think we are starting to see that play out already and I think will become much more of an issue is around the the issue of the, the sort of 
the grey area between philanthropy and funding for uh, political funding and funding for political campaigning, and specifically, I think, around the role of think tanks, which are controversial here in the UK already because a number of them have charitable status, but they rely on a category within charity law of charities uh, for educational purposes. And people have long felt that this is um, often stretched as a definition to sort of to its limits and beyond. And recently, the Charity Commission here in the UK issued some specific sort of censure of a couple of, uh, of think tanks for overstepping the bounds. And I think um, there was also a big article in The Guardian not long ago by um, George Monbiot um, sort of tracing the way in which uh, some money from the Koch brothers, conservative funders in the US, had made its way into organisations in the UK that were sort of trying to promote right-wing ideas. Now, none of these, I think, from memory, were actually registered charities. It wasn't quite the same, but I think this sort of this has become a narrative and people are looking for evidence that dark money is having an impact in the UK as well. And some of that focus, I think, will inevitably come onto this question of of think tanks. So I expect more people to be sort of probing away at that area. Um, I think I've already touched on uh, the fact that I think austerity um, will be a big issue in terms of the, the kind of impact it has. Uh, and I think at a, a theoretical level, that will continue to bring this question of the relative responsibility of charity uh, versus the state uh, to light. And this is you know, a conversation I think that comes around cyclically, but one where I think people really, it will be helpful if people engaged at a much deeper level to, to really sort of genuinely kind of work through some of these issues, because otherwise there's a danger that whenever people come to it, it's so politically charged that it, it kind of polarises too much. And actually having that that sensible and more nuanced conversation in the middle ground would be genuinely helpful, but I, I, I remain perhaps too optimistic about that. Um, I think the, the phenomenon of the closing space for civil society worldwide, so the, the kind of the idea that the space in which civil society operates and is able to give people the rights of freedom of association and freedom to speak out and to challenge government and government policy um, is being encroached upon by uh, regimes around the world that want to sort of limit this ability. Um, and I think that will continue. I think it will continue in a, in sort of traditional sense through kind of government censorship and you know uh, repression, physical repression of of protest and that sort of thing. I think we'll also start to see more and more uh, elements of it in the online world, where it looks potentially, I think, quite different. I think one of the the things I think is is interesting is the way in which. Um, when you're talking about online uh, repression, it, it may look less like closing space and more like opening up space. Um, so what I mean here is that uh, it's been noted that in a way, smart repressive regimes around the world who want to, to close down dissent may shift from a sort of traditional focus on trying to stop people saying things, so kind of censorship and, and repression, to instead harnessing the same digital tools against those groups uh, and instead just kind of creating 
uh, other kind of fake groups and engaging in astroturfing, so sort of creating things that look like grassroots organisations to to put across multiple different viewpoints, so that you flood the space so much that it's impossible to to tell what's true or not anymore, and then you accuse everybody of being fake news and having you know alternative facts and this kind of thing. Um, and this is the approach you know the Russian propaganda machine and the GRU and things have used, which is you don't try to push any one viewpoint or to stop people expressing any other viewpoint you just put out as many different competing viewpoints as you can and the idea being that all you're trying to do is to sow so much confusion that nothing is uh, is possible anymore nothing is certain um so i think we'll see more of that um a thing i've already touched on a number of times i think there will be an increasing focus on networked models for for social change so i think you know we'll see more and more focus on the idea that people might come together in sort of looser, uh, non-hierarchical structures that are perhaps shorter term, rather than looking to kind of traditional charities or non-profits to engage with with some of these big social issues. Um, partly, you know, I think that sort of reflects maybe a generational difference. Why well, I haven't, you know, that's hypothetical. I haven't tested that necessarily. Um but also I think it's going to raise some really interesting questions about what the role of traditional organisations and funders is in that context because I think the idea that we should just say, oh, well, we've got these new network models so we should probably just step out of the way is not right. I think those models have their strengths but they also have some pretty apparent weaknesses and I think there will be some really kind of interesting thought to be given to what role traditional organizations can play in supporting those so that we get the the strengths of both of them and try and avoid some of the weaknesses and it's certainly something i'd want to do a bit of work on over the coming year um uh, i think related to that i think uh, we already noticed with the mention earlier of the naacp shifting its um its tax status in order to be able to engage in political ad- advocacy um i think that line between civil society and politics is going to come under increasing strain from a, from a number of sides i think the the idea that um charities are kind of able to engage in political advocacy as long as it is not partisan or party political is pretty fundamental certainly here in the uk it's the the sort of defense of charitable uh, advocacy uh, over here um but i suspect there will be people who will come to challenge even that and to claim that actually there shouldn't be any such limit and that actually you know that civil society certainly in its broadest sense should be engaging in overtly political and even sort of party political or partisan um, campaigning and that actually if the charity structure is what prevents that then they will increasingly look to use other structures that do allow them to to engage in that um, and i think the the final thing to be said about sort of specific charity and civil society uh, issues is i suspect the issue of kind of public trust will continue to be a big one and we will almost inevitably, I think, unfortunately, see some other iteration of charity scandal of one sort or another because it's now part of the the, the news narrative about this. And in a sector as broad and diverse as the charity or civil society sector, there will always be issues or in individual organisations or even sort of systemic problems that when brought to light are easy to kind of fit into that narrative. Um, so I think, you know, we, we should be on our guard against that. 
And then finally, I just want to to give a few thoughts that are sort of specifically around technology, because obviously that's something I do quite a lot of work on, and it lends itself quite well to predictions. So, um, in, in no particular order here, I think at at the highest possible level, one of the things we've seen over the last year, in many ways, is uh, the phenomenon of the tech lash, uh, as it's been called, not by me, um, but the idea that people are kind of cooling on on their enthusiasm about the ability of the sort of the technology industry and um you know smart people from silicon valley to come in and and push society forwards and actually we've sort of seen that these people are as fallible if not more so than all of the rest of us and often you know despite their claims of noble intentions you know that doesn't necessarily play out in in uh, in reality so i think we've we've seen people kind of pushing back on that um, and as a result i think there will be more focus on more traditional mechanisms of legislation and regulation and public policy to try and control the technology industry and that will cause quite a lot of tension i think because a lot of people in the tech industry feel that, that will stifle innovation and the way they operate so i think the the question of of where that power dynamic ends up will be a, a big one over the next year um, I think in terms of where you know the philanthropy and civil society world and funders are, I think in terms of tech issues, there will be more focus on some of those negative impacts of technology. So I think you know around something like artificial intelligence, I think there will start to be more funders engaging with issues like algorithmic bias um, or the impact of automation on the workplace and kind of what the response to that needs to be. Um, I think one thing I think is interesting around the ai ethics debate so i think there is a big debate at the moment about how we develop ai in an ethical manner um you know i've said before that i don't think civil society is currently as engaged in that debate as it should be and i've seen interesting signs that um some people are starting to take issue with the very sort of framing of this debate um and this goes back to the regulation question saying that actually by framing this as a debate about the ethics of AI, we are essentially allowing it to be a conversation within the tech sector about how they develop a technology. And it, it sort of puts the power very much in the hands of the technology industry. Whereas some people claim, actually, what we need to be talking about is how do we constrain their ability to do some of these things through more traditional mechanisms of uh, in democratic uh, accountability or you know sort of regulation or, or legislation um so I, again i think it will be interesting to see whether there is a slight shift in terms of of that debate over the coming year um in terms of how ai is actually used in the sector um i think you know we'll see i think i um, you know highlighted that conversational ai and giving via voice operated platforms had begun i think we'll see more and more of that um, I think more broadly linked to that, not quite as far as AI, we'll see more commercial payment platforms and others start to integrate charitable giving into their platforms. So, you know, we've already seen people like Facebook enabling it and um, Apple Pay. And then in the last few weeks, interestingly, Google Play um, has offered, uh, has added a kind of functionality for people to give to a small range of organisations through the, the Play Store. Um, and I think we'll see more and more of that. The the other way, place I think we'll see a similar thing play out is in the um, the world of online gaming and esports, which is you know is a huge marketplace. 
Um, and actually, I was reading an article the other day um, about the the growth of platforms like Twitch, which are uh, online platforms um, that basically allow people to sort of watch other people playing games. And they're absolutely huge. I mean, it's with particularly with with younger people. And it will be interesting to see uh, the development of kind of in-game donations and donations through some of these platforms. Um, And again, this potentially links to what I was saying before um, last year about kind of unique digital assets, because one of the things you might be able to do is kind of uh, donate assets that you are able to kind of buy and sell within these games these things called skins which are you know like the clothes that you wear within a game or the weapons you use and things like this and if those are able to be unique digital objects they can have and hold value scarcity value so you might be able to kind of give them away or auction them or sell them for charity so it'll be interesting to see whether that develops um and then I think the other thing that I think might happen and I'm kind of hopeful of is that there'll be more focus on using artificial intelligence and machine learning in slightly more boring ways. So rather than um, the kind of straightforward uh, human interaction of conversational AI and not thinking about the application of you know machine learning to uh come up with exciting new ways to deal directly with causes around you know medical research or the environment but more about how it makes the the workings of philanthropy or civil society organizations more effective essentially a kind of charity reg tech uh, mindset you know i think there we might start to see people applying you know machine learning to existing data on grant making for instance to try and kind of um automate some of the the sort of the early stages of things like the grant application process which currently still require a high degree of human involvement but actually if you could kind of for instance filter grants by uh, an application of machine learning so that the ones that made it through to the point where a human being looked at it had already been kind of pre-filtered you would be saving a lot of the the time currently used up for human effort and you would be focusing human effort on the bits where humans genuinely add value similarly i think the the application of um uh uses of ai like natural language processing which you know allow you to kind of automate reading and a semantic interpretation of natural language conversations and, and natural language uh kind of written material online potentially opens up some really interesting possibilities uh, for harnessing much broader ranges of data when it comes to things like um, collecting data on where donations have been made and on foundation grant making or in things like due diligence. So if, you know, if instead of having to manually identify a data set and then get somebody to data enter it and categorize it, you can instead use um, machine learning and teach it to be able to uh, categorize the data and to spot patterns and trends and also use natural language processing to mean that it can use things like uh, newspaper reports or social media to be able to spot trends in a much broader range of data all of a sudden i think there's something hugely interesting there um and again that's uh, something i'm probably going to be doing a bit of work on over the the coming year so you know stay tuned for that um then i think the the other things that are that are kind of linked to to ai um i think one of them uh, goes back to the questions around um civil civil society and sort of closing space and online authenticity um i think there will be an increasing number of challenges to online authenticity so 
you know, we've already seen this through sort of micro targeting of propaganda and misinformation, um, and that kind of creates, you know, echo chambers and filter bubbles online and allows you to sort of um, to to kind of direct people's views in a certain way and destabilize the electoral process. One of the things I think that's going to make that a lot worse is um, things like uh, generative audio and visual content. So it's come to the people's notice this year, these things called deep fakes, which is um, where you can generate video essentially that looks indistinguishable from real video. Um, and obviously, if you can create video of a politician or a prominent public figure saying whatever you want all of a sudden it's going to be very difficult in an online environment to determine what is true and what isn't. Um, and that is, I think, going to be a huge challenge for civil society because so much of the campaigning work of civil society relies on authenticity. And if somebody is able to basically just kind of undermine authenticity online by creating photo or video or audio content saying or showing whatever they want that is potentially hugely problematic. So I think that's something funders and civil society organisations really need to engage with. Um, and then finally, I think, you know, I'll, I'll throw in again my ones from last year that I think we're already increasingly aware of the sort of bargain we all strike where we give away our personal data in return for um, uh, kind of targeted and personalised recommendations and services. I think we're all more uneasy about that bargain now in the wake of some of the scandals we've seen this year. Um, and I suspect there will be more focus over the coming year in terms of what the possible responses to this might be and ways in which we might come up with better models for how we, we kind of manage data online and whether that needs to be through some form of public or collective ownership of it or whether there needs to be some sort of legal charter uh, governing the way in which data is is used by commercial organizations and by the public sector organizations and by charities or civil society bodies so i think there'll there'll be quite a lot of focus on that um and then you know subsequently again i still suspect we might see some more big fines um linked to gdpr here in the uk um let's see um so i think uh, that brings me to the end of what is a massively overlong canter through <laughs> through my thoughts on the year and what my thoughts about last year and my thoughts about the year to come. Um, I hope you've stuck with me through that. Um, you know, let's regroup at this point next year and I'll see how I got on with, with these uh, this set of uh, predictions. Other than that, it just remains to say uh, thanks very much for listening, both to this episode and over the course of the, the last year. Um, I promise I'll do my best to uh, continue uh, to improve the podcast. Um, you know, if you have any uh, suggestions for things that could be doing better in terms of, you know, the structure of it, the content, uh, people you'd like to see me interview, um, uh, different kind of stories you'd like to see covered, please do drop me a line at givingthought@cafonline.org. Um, follow me on Twitter if you want more of this kind of nonsense at Rodri underscore H underscore Davis. Other than that, please like, subscribe, tell all your friends about it. It's always nice to have uh, new and indeed more listeners. So Happy New Year to all of you, and let's see what 2019 brings. Bye!